So the reason behind it is that countries with high vaccine manufacturing capabilities like the U.S., such as the U.K., have engaged in what we call vaccine nationalism. And this includes Canada, um, because Canada has secured the highest number of vaccines. We have enough vaccines that we've purchased to vaccinate the Canadian population nine times over. Hi everyone, welcome to the Good Health Cafe, the place to understand health in plain language and learn how to navigate the healthcare system. Our guest today is Dr. Ananya Banerjee. Ananya is a assistant professor at McGill University and she's also a huge champion for vaccine equity, which is what we're going to be talking about today. So grab your warm drink and let's get to the episode. Hi Ananya, welcome to the Good Health Cafe. Thank you so much for coming. Hi, Nikia. Thanks. It's my pleasure to be here. I'm super excited to have a really great conversation with you and with the audience. Thank you. I'm excited to have this conversation too. Could you please introduce yourself? My name is Ananya Banerjee. I am an assistant professor at McGill University in the Department of Epidemiology, Biostatistics, and Occupational Health, aka EBOH. Um, I'm a proud child of immigrant parents uh, from India. I'm a settler. I'm a cisgendered person and I fully acknowledge my privileged identities I hold on the stolen land and hopefully an ally and accomplice to all those who are marginalized and may not have the same opportunities that I have right now. Oh, that's quite an introduction. So Ananya, today we're going to be talking about vaccine equity. Could you please tell us what it is and then why it matters? So vaccine equity is essentially ensuring at the local level, like municipal, provincial, I guess in the context of Canada, and then federally, all Canadians, and then globally, like the whole entire world, that everyone has access to vaccines, and particularly right now during this pandemic, have access to the vaccines to be able to control and end the current pandemic, COVID-19. Thanks. It's my understanding that one way to have vaccine equity was through a mechanism called COVAX. What is the problem? If this organization exists to help with uh, vaccine equity, why is vaccine equity still an issue? So vaccine equity is essentially an issue right now because we need to think about who has access to the vaccines and versus not globally. So the reality is that billions of people around the world have yet to have an access to a vaccine. So as of September 7th, only 1.9% of the population in low-income countries have received one shot compared to the entire, compared to the rest of the world, which are mainly middle and high income countries, 40% those regions have been vaccinated at least once. Where are these differences geographically? I imagine that's what many people want to know. So what's disheartening is that many regions of Africa, South Asia, the Middle East, and Latin America have the lowest vaccine coverage compared to North American and European countries, such as ours, like Canada, Israel, the US, and our range of our population being fully vaccinated here in Canada is actually close to uh, 70%, I think, higher. And I think in the months, we'll be at 80%. And this is being fully vaccinated, receiving both shots. 
But then we have countries like Bangladesh, Jamaica, um, that are actually at 6%. And then we have Malawi that is at 2.5%. That's a really stark contrast. Thank you for the overview. So 1.9% versus 40%. What's the reason? So... The reason behind it is that countries with high vaccine manufacturing capabilities like the U.S., such as the U.K., have engaged in what we call vaccine nationalism. And this includes Canada, um, because Canada has secured the highest number of vaccines. We have enough vaccines that we purchase to vaccinate the Canadian population nine times over. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's because Canada made these bilateral deals with farm companies and have pre-purchased the vaccines much early on, particularly during the trial phase of the vaccines. And the reality is that low-income countries can't secure vaccines that early, especially during a trial when we are unsure that if the vaccines are going to work or not. They can't just, they can't afford to lose that money that they invest in during the manufacturing and the trialing process. And that's why many low middle income countries are severely disadvantaged. What's also unfortunate, and now we're at the point that even countries such as Israel, Canada, um, and the U.S. and the U.K., that we have high vaccine coverage, but they're not actually um, donating any surplus vaccines to countries who need it the most to make sure that globally everybody is vaccinated at the same rate and equitably. And we saw this, for example, what happened in India when we saw that surge of the coronavirus just, you know, at one point what it felt was destroying the country in spring uh, season. This was a result of them not having the opportunity to actually do manufacturing vaccines for uh, countries such as AstraZeneca, but not being able to administer them to their own populations. And then as a result, not being fully vaccinated, it gave rise to the Delta variant, which is now actually influencing the fourth wave of the pandemic that we're experiencing here in North America. Um, But understanding that we are protected for the most part because we have high vaccine coverage. And unfortunately, this isn't happening for other countries and then countries that have yet to be unvaccinated. Who knows what other variants are going to emerge? And we might have to go back to square one as Canadians because there's no guarantee that our vaccines will protect us from future variants. And we know uh, the newer variants are mostly uh, more dangerous and more transmissible. Going back to your comment on India. How is it that India was manufacturing the vaccine but could not administer it to its own people? That doesn't make sense. So there are just there are agreements that have taken place okay. uh, between India's pharmaceutical company, these companies, manufacturing companies, because we know India um, actually produces. Uh, the most vaccines in the world for other infectious uh, diseases. So because they have the infrastructure set up, which a lot of low middle income countries do not have, they just don't have the infrastructure. Even so much to us as Canada, that's why we weren't able to produce our own vaccines because we didn't have the infrastructure. So India made this agreement. I think a part of this was also the fact that, you know, profits are involved. And so we know that often money takes precedence over people's lives. I think also with India, I mean, it's also very political as to why they had decided not to make more efforts to vaccinate um, their populations. That's because they were held back from these agreements, right? They had to produce the vaccines that were to be administered 
to high-income countries such as ourselves. So many of the AstraZeneca vaccines that were distributed among Canadians are actually manufactured in India. So that's the reason behind it. And it's it's actually a reason a result of these patents that pharma companies hold that they are only able to give permission which country and which industries are able to produce the vaccine or not and how they will be uh, distributed. And so now there's a whole movement, what it's called is the TRIPS waiver, which is pushing for a temporary waiver to override the patent so countries across the world can start to uh, manufacture their own uh, vaccines, essentially getting the recipes, getting the technologies, uh, the resources um, to be able to start uh, producing their own vaccines so they can quickly vaccinate their populations. Very interesting. Along the same lines, a couple of months ago now, I don't know if it has changed, you'll tell me, I read in NPR that I think it was a Nigerian doctor. He had gotten AstraZeneca, but he was not going to be eligible to fly to Europe, I think, because there was some sort of distinction between the AstraZeneca manufactured in India and the AstraZeneca that they were giving in Europe. And Europe was taking one, the one they made and not the other one. Could you tell us why that would be? Isn't If it is the same formula, then what's this about? question. I'll be honest, I think, you know, the World Health Organization and also the pharma companies had not actually uh, give permission for AstraZeneca, even here, uh, the ones that were produced in uh, the U.S., that wasn't included. So it was only Pfizer and Moderna that enabled people to to travel to other parts of the country. I'm pretty sure that if you had an AstraZeneca shot, it was produced, for example, in the U.K., I think that was still prohibiting you to, to travel, but then they waived it for the AstraZeneca vaccines that were produced in the UK, but then they held back you know, from those that were produced in India. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> like, I'll be honest. Maybe just that it's where it is located regionally. Maybe the technology might not be the same. But we do know that the formula for the vaccines were exactly uh, the same. Obviously, it was a political reasoning behind it. Yeah, I agree. I it just seemed really unjust and unfair to me. And that that was basically the point of his article, because I think he wanted to travel to some co- like academic conference or something that he couldn't. And it was just kind of highlighting, again, the inequities of the whole thing where certain people were getting ones that I guess are, appear to be more prestigious and get to travel. And then everyone else was kind of following the rules, getting vaccinated as encouraged, but not being able to move as freely as they would like. You spoke about Canada has nine times the vaccine doses that it needs. So what are we doing with it? Are we keeping it or are we starting to give it away? So Canada is hoarding vaccines. They have barely given any of their surplus vaccines away. And just recently, you know, the AstraZeneca vaccines were finally given out to other regions of the world. But what's interesting is that these vaccines, when they were finally distributed globally, is that they're near expiration. So mm. as we for the vaccines are going to expire sometime in October. We're unsure why, you know, AstraZeneca was put on a halt 
long before we know it, um, you know, India was pleading for those vaccines when the fourth wave was starting. And yes, it's not maybe that much, like 500,000 in a grand scheme of things may not do much for a country um, that has a billion people. But at the end of the day, we need to protect those who are most vulnerable in this world. And the World Health Organization has, you know, at the point they're like begging G7 countries, for example, that we need to at least vaccinate 10% of the world. And, and that 10% should be healthcare workers and elderly and other vulnerable communities. And the reason he's saying that because he can see in the future that there's going to be deadly waves that are impact regions that haven't been vaccinated. So making sure at least the healthcare uh, workers are protected and they're going to be able to work the healthcare system, which most likely can collapse as we saw in India. But I mean, this is a message that many people are failing to understand. And really it's about just protecting one's borders. And so Canada, unfortunately, is now trying to figure out, you know, the booster shots and when they're going to be administered. And now there's a whole debate, you know, do we give booster shots? Yes, those who need it in terms of, you know, being immunocompromised, like seniors and long-term care homes, definitely. But, you know, if someone's healthy and, you know, just going on about their lives and they don't have any, do they need a booster shot? That's the question. And should those vaccines, which is a majority of the Canadian population, should they be redirected uh, somewhere else? Yes. I read an article today, actually, I think, where Dr. Tedros was saying that richer countries should not be giving booster shots when other countries and the rest of the world are not. Yeah. And, you know, we're at the point, like, there are advocates who don't even want children to get the shots right now either because you know the chances of getting COVID are, are so low compared to adult populations so it's hard there it's it's so political there's just so many debates happening and you know we had hoped that global vaccine equity would have been you know a strong component of the election agenda and you know we saw how it was failed to be discussed between the leaders and you know something that I argue is that I don't think the liberals really you know sold themselves as wanting to wanting to be part of a global vaccine equity initiative even though they keep saying they are is because when we think about the vaccination campaign in Canada it was essentially an election campaign for the liberals and so the focus was on Canadians the conversation of boosters comes back to Canadians you have to remember each vaccination is potentially a confirmed vote uh, for the liberal. Mm. Never thought of it like that. Do you have any sense of vaccine equity within the country? Yeah. So, I mean, we've come a long way in terms of mm. having an equitable vaccine rollout. You know, I think when the vaccine started to be administered, um, we saw so much fallouts. We saw who got left behind, who wasn't first in line. And this includes, um, you know, racialized communities, indigenous communities, precarious workers. Hey, it took so long to get the shots even to long-term care homes. And so we started to see incremental impacts where people started to really think about equity and how the vaccines should be distributed. What was interesting is that when vaccines were becoming readily available, 
through the mass vaccination sites, you know, the uptake was actually quite slow. Like I remember when I took my mom to get vaccinated, you know, there was a hundred stations and she was five at that time. And I was like, where are the other 95 people? Like, why didn't they book their vaccine at this time? What's going on? And, you know, like, I think access are to be a huge issue. So, you know, making the assumption that wherever people are, like, to have to travel 25 kilometers to get a vaccine, not to get vaccinated, to be able to book your vaccine through the telephone and also online, like, that was, like, disadvantaging a lot of people. So, you know, the reality is digital literacy is so important, health literacy, English literacy. So we know, for example, a lot of immigrant communities are falling behind. Also, people who were working, they couldn't take time off to get vaccinated. And then we'll see a lot of racialized communities, history, rightfully so, of having mistrust in the vaccine, not having, you know, the proper information, not seeing if it was tested within their populations because of incidents in our history where, you know, for example, the African-American communities in the U.S., when we think about the Tuskegee um, study and, you know, how they were withheld from treatment in case they did get syphilis and they were told that they were, you know, getting, you know, treatment to prevent it, but, you know, they were, like, lied to and the goal was to see when they would get syphilis and then as a result hundreds of african-americans had passed away so why would you trust you know a system that you know doesn't prioritize certain communities based on their phenotypes right and so that was totally rightfully so i think you know it's been really nice and i have to say there had there are some really think about the positive aspects and this happened a hundred years ago i think half of the world would have been dead by now, particularly those in the global south, those who are racialized, those who are homeless. Um, I think because we finally had people who were quick to recognize that inequities were going to begin as soon as this pandemic started and they started fighting for their inherent rights. And so all of a sudden we saw the tables turn and that apart from mass vaccination sites, there was like all these incredible pop-up clinics that were community-driven, community-led that was happening um, all around, you know, particularly in Ontario. And I know it's happened in Quebec. And so we started to see, you know, vaccination clinics happening in mosques and temples. We started to see them being administered by members of the community who are healthcare professionals. We saw these healthcare professionals starting their own webinar series and informing the community, you know, overcoming misinformation and trust. You know, we saw Black-led community uh, vaccination clinics, and it was incredible to see the lineup of people and to see the power of community and really mobilizing and changing the discourse of equity that we've seen um, historically. So we've been able to see that during this pandemic. And and what was actually another positive thing is that Indigenous communities were actually, many communities were prioritized. So at one point, there was a statistic that came out that Indigenous communities were six times more higher to get vaccinated than the general Canadian population. And that's a statistic we want to see. We don't want to see that BIPOC folks are, you know, two to three times less likely to get a vaccine or two to three times more likely to get COVID. We, We wanted to see it flip but then you know if we're thinking about equity we want to make sure that truly everybody has minimal risk 
for getting, getting COVID-19 and that everyone has that equal access. Wouldn't that be nice? I guess that would be sorting out all the social determinants of health now, wouldn't it? Or not necessarily. Yeah. yeah, so I think what we need is for countries like Canada to stop prioritizing their own diplomatic and commercial interests. And, you know, when we think about commercial interests, you know, we're thinking about, you know, the US, uh, the EU, essentially wealthier nations. They have, in effect, wrecked, you know, COVAX's ambition to take overall charge of the global fight against the pandemic. And a lot of people were saying, well, there's COVAX, you know, the whole goal is that is to ensure that there's equitable access to the vaccine in low-income countries. But Obviously, that hasn't uh, happened. COVAX has felt, felt extremely uh, short, even though they have raised $10 billion as a result of you know, high-income countries donating money. The reality is that it's not just about getting the money. You need the vaccines, right? And who are withholding the vaccines that are in such surplus? It's countries um, such as ours. And so, you know... Thinking about even like purchasing power of vaccines and, 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 you know, thinking about, you know, there needs to be some type of bylaw, you know, countries like ours, yards, Canada cannot over purchase nine times over. Like that's absolutely um, ridiculous. And then on top of that, withhold them. And then really this, what we're seeing is distributing them until they're near expiry. And again, we're not too sure, you know, and again, it's so political, right? And it's about protecting our borders, it's protecting Canadians, it's getting votes, it's for the government to stay in power. And that's why it's left poor countries short of supply. We're not short of supply of vaccines. There's enough being manufactured at the rate that we can get everybody vaccinated by 2022. But what how it's looking right now is that the entire world will probably not be vaccinated until 2023. Again, it's regions of particular Africa, regions of South Asia, Latin America that are going to be last in line on getting the vaccine. And let's just hope that, you know, there's no new variant that's even worse than the Delta variant, or we're just going to be in this pandemic forever. And I think COVAX, I'll be honest, is not a sustainable solution because the reality is we're going to need booster shots probably for the rest of our lives. And so that's why it's more, it's important more than ever that we require a ramping of production of COVID-19 vaccines, which will require enhancing the local manufacturing um, capabilities. So we can't have low-income countries at the mercy as countries as ours, as the U.S. and like the U.K. to send the vaccines when it's most convenient for them. Yeah. And what's interesting is, while I understand the need to protect your own population, they expect that and it's the least that you can do probably. It's funny that I think a lot of people don't realize that as long as it exists somewhere, it's a threat to all of us everywhere because of air travel and everything. So it's not like you can actually ever cocoon yourself safely from this, which is why everyone needs to get it everywhere. I was reading actually that one of the challenges with COVAX initially was that they were giving it out, I think, proportional to the population of your country or something crazy like that. So whereas like somewhere like the UK that or and Canada who have 
not only signed up to COVAX, but also were making their own agreements with the pharmaceutical companies, they still got um, their proportional allotment from COVAX, even though they the, a large majority of their population was vaccinated. And then other countries, let's say like Botswana, ended up with like 55,000 doses, even though they needed way more than that. Yeah. And that's kind of crazy, but they are supposedly adjusting their agreement, but apparently all the COVAX signatories needed to sign on for that yeah. to, to yeah. change that. Yeah, and again, like that just portrays vaccine nationalism, right? Because <laughs> like part of the agreement is like, yes, we will invest in vaccinating, you know, for low-income countries. However, we need to take from COVAX because we're not able to vaccinate our population at the rate that we want to. Mm-hmm. they will dip into it. And that's exactly what Canada did. So actually the AstraZeneca vaccines that were made in India, that was um, also part of India's role as well. And their goal was to actually help vaccinate by manu- local manufacturing vaccines to low-income countries, particular uh, regions in the Caribbean, Caribbean and Africa. Um, and now that's been put to a halt because of the deadly wave that they had experienced and also now taking priority of vaccinating their own population just because mm-hmm. they can't afford another deadly wave as they did in the spring season. And so it's really unfortunate. And what's even more unfortunate is that Canada took those vaccines from COVAX and how and a lot of them weren't even used because they were AstraZeneca. So I've run into some folks, or I've heard at least from some people in the lower income countries. Well, I don't want that one. It seems like you guys are giving me the leftover stuff and you're keeping the Pfizer and the Moderna for yourselves. How do you respond? Absolutely awful. I just, you know, I it's so hard. Like we live in this bubble and it's absolutely wrong. It's unethical. It deprives of people's rights. It doesn't even fall into equity. It's more Mm -hmm. like often what we think about equality. Well, as long as they get some type of vaccine, that's all that matters. But the reality is that when we're taking an equity approach, everybody should have access, you know, to the vaccine that they will have full confidence that will work. Right. Um, But the reality is when we look at all the different vaccines, we know they work. they protect us. But again, because of vaccine nationalism, because countries like ours, we had the luxury at some point to be able to pick, you know, our brand of vaccine. It's like mm-hmm. going to the mall and saying, okay, should I buy Tom's? Should I buy Gucci? And maybe I should buy Tom's because a portion of the sales will go to rural children in low-income countries and buy them a pair of shoes. And so actually, now that I'm thinking about it, we have this very Tom's approach to to vaccinating globally, right? And there are initiatives taking place like that, right? And it's, it's quite wild. And a lot of people are now asking for donations to help vaccinate low-income countries. But, you know, the reality is it's about purchasing power. And it's, again, getting access to those vaccines. But, you know, many people in low-income countries, they're, you know, at the point, they, they don't even care what brand to get. They just want to get them again just showing how like the back branding vaccines also became very political here in Canada and that we had the luxury to actually pick you know the type of vaccine that we wanted yeah it is my understanding that you know they all supposedly work equally well whichever one you get will (laughs) will do 
But folks, some folks are like, well, Sinopharm, Sputnik, I don't know, Pfizer and Moderna seem to be the ones. And it's kind of crazy how they there does seem to be some sort of like luxury aspect to it as you made it, as you made that lovely analogy. It's like, oh, well, some folks are getting something that's better than the others when that's not the case. And they they have a really good branding or marketing campaign, maybe. <laughs> I don't know how that happens, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's really sad to see the state of vaccination in this world right now because it's even more like complicated because it's even when countries like start to get the vaccines, right? They need to plan, they need to make sure that they will be administered. Like we saw like vaccine hesitancy exists everywhere globally. And here we mm-hmm. are like trying so hard to tackle it. You know, there was a huge anti-vax, anti-mask protest this past weekend in Montreal and La Fontaine Park. And, you know, there's going to be similar people in other countries, right? And so even just getting the vaccine to them doesn't even guarantee that they will take them and use them. And then you know, the mistrust between the global North and the global South, right? And you know, they actually have every right to maybe refuse the vaccines that are coming from the global north, north within global south countries. As we start to wrap up our conversation on vaccine equity, Ananya, are there any closing thoughts that you have about this issue? I want Canadians to care. I mean, if that is your main audience, like I think Canada needs to step up and do more. Like enough of these pledges, enough of these donations, you know, if they're so committed to ensuring that they, you know, are in support of the TRIPS waiver, that they will donate their surplus donations. Like we need answers, we need to hold them accountable. And, you know, I think that's the only way is that if we create a strong social justice movement amongst all of us and like really, you know, hold our government accountable, but put pressure on them to the point it's like, no, giving us the vaccine will not, you know, ensure that you will get reelected next term. Making sure the whole world is vaccinated so we're all protected and we can end the pandemic together is what is going to, to get votes from us, right? Like we need to shift it around. And the reality is there's just a small proportion of the Canadian population that actually care about global vaccine equity because you know for someone who's been fighting so long for it and being vocal of it it's it's been interesting to see people sending hate mails you know saying that no you know we have to protect ourselves like you know so the point people are like we need booster shots because they know that there's going to be new variants coming in the future um and it just shows us canadian how many canadians are so selfish and so I'm pleading to make, you know, for people to understand that health is a human right, that getting vaccinated is a human right. You know, this disease is preventable and that it's it's really unfortunate that, you know, communities around the world that are so marginalized as a result of colonialism, you know, systemic racism have to con- like still endure those effects right and that we know that many lives have been lost simply because they didn't have access to the vaccine wonderful thanks ananya let's define the trips waiver really quickly in case anyone doesn't know what is the trips waiver yes 
October 2020, India and South Africa had jointly uh, proposed that the World Trade Organization um, enforce intellectual property rights obligations related to patents uh, of the vaccines. That includes copyright, industrial designs, and also clinical data should be suspended for the duration of uh, the pandemic, which we know, which we call a temporary initiative called the TRIPS waiver proposal. Um, and this essentially countries are fighting for is to ensure a rapid, equitable, and true, truly global public health um, response um, to uh, COVID-19. Despite the fact that we have over 100 uh, World Trade Organization member governments, the debate over the waiver uh, still continues. And so there was supposed to be a decision um, made this past summer. We know the Biden administration keeps saying that they're in support of a temporary waiver. So there can be local manufacturing capabilities of the vaccines, but it's there hasn't been uh, a position that has been passed yet. Canada claims it doesn't oppose oppose the waiver, but it hasn't really clearly stated that it supports it either, which contributes to the deadlock that we're seeing right now. So in a very simple sense, we need to give all countries the rights to manufacture the Pfizer and like Moderna vaccines. Who needs to sign it? Is it everybody or is this something, this is the vaccine producing countries are the ones that need to sign this waiver. Yeah. And the pharma companies need to waiver. So unfortunately, Pfizer, because of potential economic losses and profits to support. That's too bad because they've made way more than they can dream of, I'm sure, <laughs> so far. A hundred percent. And it's all about making money right now. And especially if this pandemic is... If it's going to become an endemic, um, booster shots maybe for years to come, hey, it's just more money for pharma companies. And why are they going to lose uh, profits by sharing uh, manufacturing capabilities with other countries? The right answer is you do it because you'll still be rich and you'll be saving lives. (laughs) Win-win. We need a global movement. (laughs) We need to all that together. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming to the Good Health Cafe, Ananya. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much, Nikita. Um, I love your show. Thanks for just amplifying our voices. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I hope you feel more encouraged, if you aren't already, to understand the importance of sharing vaccines and If you're not already subscribed to the Good Health Cafe mailings, I encourage you to do so on our website. Until next time, see you in the cafe later. Bye.